1: Welcome to the Heredity Podcast. If you missed the last episode and are starting to think that I sound a lot less like Dr. James Bergen than you were expecting, then that's because James has left the podcast after a glorious five-year tenure and handed the reins to me, Mike Pointer. I've made a few Heredity cameos over the last few years, and in my first episode as solo host, I'm welcoming back Anna Hewitt, who I've actually interviewed once before, after she won the Student Talk Prize at last year's pop group meeting. Hi Anna, how's it been going over the last year and a bit?
2: Hi Anna. Yeah, good, thank you. Yep, in final year of PhD, so that's going well.
1: (laughs) Well, I know that you've been busy, you've got this new paper out, and it's all about runs of homozygosity. What do we need to know about them before we can understand the paper?
2: Well, they're a really good measure of inbreeding. That's what they've been used for most of the time.
1: The genomic data that you used are from the red deer population on the Isle of Rum. What is it that's special about this population?
2: So I think last year it was the 50th anniversary of this study population on the island of Rum. And they're an individually monitored, so like we tag all of the individuals that are born. We know how many how many offspring they have. We know the date that they're born usually, the exact date when they die and loads of other phenotypes, such as uh, birth weight, all going back like 50 years. So it's a really amazing data set, and you can use it for uh, so many different things. And I think we're at 180 publications. (laughs) So there's a lot of questions to be asked and answered using this population.
1: Okay, cool. It sounds like a really nice project to be involved with
2: yeah i'm super lucky like so many things people were like oh how did you know to do this and i'm like uh people did it like 20 years ago <laughs> or they're like how did you get this data And i'm like someone else did it five years ago and i'm just building on their stuff but that's how it works it's good
1: so as you say you're building on this existing body of work on this system what was it that you wanted to add with this new study
2: so for the first time I actually looked at runs of homozygosity so inbreeding has already been looked at in the population um but using other methods but yeah since then we've had the red deer genome sequenced which has then allowed us to look for runs of homozygosity and I I guess first year of my phd and second year I got like a little bit obsessed with these things called runs of homozygosity hotspots which We're in lots of papers, and there are basically regions where runs of homozygosity are particularly common in the population. So where lots of individuals have a run of homozygosity. so where lots of individuals happen to be inbred at this particular point in the genome. And I just got really interested in what was causing them. And so a lot of cattle studies were saying that, rightly so, that these areas were sites of selection, because... In milk cattle, they were finding lots of runs of homozygosity in areas where there were milk yield genes or genes relating to milk yield. So they attributed these runs of homozygosity hotspots to selection effects where it's like beneficial to be homozygous, which makes total sense. And I sort of started wondering whether it could be the same thing in a wild population because it's always exciting to look for sites of selection. (laughs) Yeah, I guess naively in in first year, I was like, yeah, I'm going to find a site of selection. It's going to be great. (laughs) I slowly kept uncovering more and more reasons of what could cause these runs of homozygosity hotspots and just wanted to investigate which of those factors could be causing the hotspots in the deer.
1: Great. So how did you set about trying to do that?
2: So I guess broadly... I So there are lots of different things that can affect their runs from zygosity, but I like the distribution of them in the genome. But the main ones that I focused on were selection, recombination and population history effects. So to start with, to look at population history, I actually had another population of red deer that were in Argyle, so just West Scotland. So they're not on an island and they're free roaming, so have it obviously a different population history to an island population I then also looked at so to look at recombination rate I had a, a linkage map which uh, was created by uh, my supervisor so these are like the centimorgan positions so I've got a map for the centimorgan positions and a map with the base pair positions so like two snips that are in LD with each other they will have different base pair positions so different like physical positions but they have the same centimorgan position because they're in ld so that kind of i guess tricks the algorithm or the searching algorithm into kind of cutting off the run of homozygosity at that point and then takes into account recombination rate basically and that was a method proposed by marty Cardos, i think or at least that's where i saw it first I thought that was a really cool way of sort of accounting for recombination to see whether it was having an effect. And then to look at selection, I did this kind of strange measure called a haplotype diversity, which I based on the Simpsons biodiversity measure. In areas with low haplotype diversity, you expect certain haplotypes to be more common. So, like for example, in areas of low biodiversity you'd expect to see lots of the same species. It's the same for haplotype diversity. And then in areas of high haplotype diversity, you've got lots of different types of haplotypes. They're occurring at the same frequency. So like, for example, if you had an area of three haplotypes, if one of those was particularly common, and like everyone had the same haplotype, then that would have really low haplotype diversity. But if all of the three haplotypes were occurring in the same frequency, then you'd have quite a high haplotype diversity. So that was sort of a way of looking at how perhaps certain haplotypes are being favoured due to selection because they might be beneficial. And again, that was sort of modified off of a, another paper that I read by, you know, Keurig did a similar sort of thing.
1: Okay, that's a really nice analogy to understand what's going on there. So low haplotype diversity would indicate like a selective sweep?
2: Yeah, specifically like a, um, a quick drop in haplotype diversity. And then finally, I ran some slim simulations to look at all three of those and how that might be relating to my red deer population.
1: Okay, so some very cool, interesting methods. I love simulations as a tool. So what did you find out?
2: But yeah, I guess broadly it would be that we found uh, population history had the greatest effect on the distribution of runs from zygosti in, in this population at least. We also found possible evidence um, for selection in a couple of the hotspots, but I think it can just be really hard to untangle the effects of selection versus drift, especially in an inbred population. One can look very much like the other.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. I work with experimentally evolving populations in the lab. So one of the big benefits that we get there is having independently evolving replicates that can help us to separate selection from drift. But your simulations also back up that theory, right?
2: Yeah, that is nice. (laughs) What I did find though is, so I I found a drop in haplotype diversity in two of the ROH hotspots. In my study population which did indicate that there was like a selective sweep going on there and that was also backed up by the slim simulations as well i also found that in the simulations where i imposed selection there was a big drop in haplotype diversity compared to the neutral simulations but i still think it's quite good to be skeptical sometimes Um, Yeah, I mean, all of the evidence did point to it being um, selection in those two hotspots. So that is exciting. And I just sort of wish, yeah, I could dig a little bit more into it if I had the time.
1: Yeah, when you've got time, just stick it on the pile. So I was wondering, you're working on this red deer population because that's the really nice data that you have available how widely applicable do you think your results might be to other types of systems and species?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of the work on like runs from zygosty hotspots in particular, are done in populations where there's artificial selection. So where selection is probably the main driver of these hotspots. But I think that really, because that's how people started looking at them, it can be easy to assume that, all RH hotspots are sites of selection. It could be like the default option, sort of. But especially in wild populations, I think that isn't necessarily the case. And there can be lots of other factors that are coming into play and causing these distribution of runs of homozygosity to change.
1: Okay, that's a nice, neat take-home message. And what's next for you now?
2: Well, I have got the rest of my PhD, to. <laughs> Um, So, well, at the moment I'm looking at inbreeding depression using runs of homozygosity, and then also some spatial variation in inbreeding as well because we have different areas of the island and they look like they've got different dynamics going on. But yeah, all runs of homozygosity for me for the next year or so.
1: Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming to talk to me about it. Before you go, could you just remind us of the title of the paper, And give a shout out to any co-authors plus anyone else pivotal to getting this work done.
2: Yeah, sure. So the title is Selection, Recombination and Population History Effects on Runs of Homozygosity in Wild Red Deer. And um, yeah, big shout out to both my supervisors, uh, Susan Johnston and Josephine Pemberton. And also to Martin Stoffel and Lucy Peters. Helped me a lot with all of the analysis.
1: Thanks for joining me, Anna. It's a really nice paper. I hope that this will spur people on to go and read the details.
2: Thank you, and thanks for inviting me back on. That's really great.
1: So that was this episode's main paper, but I'm trying out a new feature where I briefly mention another couple of heredity articles that caught my attention. This time on the theme of how native species can be affected by domestic animals being kept nearby when they manage to escape and mate with wild populations. Firstly, De Jong et al have analysed samples from wild boar across Europe and find that there are strong signatures of recent hybridisation with domestic pigs, as well as human-caused population fragmentation and inbreeding. However, the older, natural population structure is still detectable and indicates how Europe was recolonised after the last glacial maximum, Read more about that in their paper Spatial genetic structure of European wild boar with inferences on late Pleistocene and Holocene demographic history. And the second study is along similar lines but a much more recent example. It's been thought that large storms on Hawaii in the 1980s and 90s allowed a lot of domestic chickens into the wild by destroying chicken coops. Sureso et al. used genomic signatures of introgression to provide new evidence that those escapees did indeed breed with the island's wild red jungle fowl. This work joins other studies in emphasising the difficulties of conserving wild populations living close to their domesticated relatives. Get the full picture in their study called Population Structure and Hybridization in a Population of Hawaiian Feral Chickens. All of the papers mentioned today can be found on the Heredity website, that's nature.com forward slash h-d-y, and while you're there, you can also check out how to submit your own papers to the journal. Heredity is the official journal of the Genetic Society. You can subscribe to the Heredity podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and you can follow us on Twitter at Heredity Journal. If you want to get in touch with me directly, drop an email to hereditypodcast.gen at gmail.com. I'm Mike Pointer.